You on? I'm on. All right, good. Thanks, friend. <laughs> Aaron had to save me last time, y'all. So it is so good to be with you. It is good to be with you as family and friends and brothers and sisters in Christ. And um, I feel very much the same way as I did in the first service when the children were coming across the stage. And you'll hear it referred to today in the messages that I have. But for those of you who are note takers, I want you to take note of Matthew 18, 19, 20, and 21. Now, we'll just have five verses that we'll be talking about today. But what you'll see in those chapters is a really pointed way in which Matthew talks about both the prophetic and the uh, purposeful place of children in the ministry and life of Jesus. Particularly in this season of time, in our portion of scripture today, you will actually see how Jesus and the Pharisees point out the voice of children prophetically proclaiming who Jesus Christ is. I say that to you as parents and as others, as we know that as we wait for the return of Christ, we know that the enemy and we know that the things of this world will try to attack our children. And so as I open, would you join me in asking that the Holy Spirit would forever seal and protect our children? That the commitments that our children have made would not be uh, given way, would not, they would not be swayed by the culture, by the lies or the things of this world, but that that Hosanna in the highest, that they were crying out, that that would be their cry and it would be ours um, because it's precious. They're not just cute, although they are really cute. You all have some cute kids. Um, but they are prophetic in the word of God. They are those who see and proclaim Jesus and have a clear-eyed faith. And that is why Jesus is so protective in the gospel with children, not just because they're cute or not just because they're innocent, because he knows that when they look upon the face of God, they know who God is. It is in and through our adulthood and through the things of this world that our cynicism takes away from us the childlike faith that God calls us to have too. And so if you would, as we saw those babies parade through here, would we pray that in every stage of their life that they would be able to hold on to that proclamation of Hosanna in the highest. It may not always be that bold. There may be times as they're high schoolers or college kids when things are tough, but I pray that we would pray that our kids would be sealed forever with Jesus. Can you pray that with me? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for what our eyes were able to witness today, even as we sang that beautiful song, Hosanna in the highest. And we pray right now for our children. We pray that you would forever seal them with your Holy Spirit, that as we dedicated them as infants and even as older kids, we, even now, we, we dedicate them back to you. We dedicate our, our 56ers, our, and we dedicate our high school kids and our college kids, and each one of us, we dedicate our lives back to you. God, may the Hosanna in the highest, may the clear-eyed faith that you call us to have never leave us, even in times and in seasons when we're unsure, where maybe we've lost our way. May that childlike faith that Jesus, you so valued, may we hold on to it, that it would always draw us back, that we would always be able to look in the face of you, Jesus, and see the reality of who you are. So thank you for these babies. Thank you for the children that we uh, were able to worship alongside Thank you for their clear-eyed faith and their, their, their proclamation of who you are. And now, Lord, as we proclaim the word together, as we um, consider this gospel together, would you bless us? Would you hide me behind your cross? Would you help us to have a childlike faith and an open wonder to the reality of your gospel? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as you know, we've been continuing in our series called Giving Up Religion for Lent, and today I want to talk about Jesus in the Temple. 
Um, but before I do that, I just want to be really clear about what the intention of our journey has been as we talk about giving up religion for Lent. Because for a lot of us, we would consider ourselves religious people. I don't know if anyone's ever used that term in their life to describe themselves, but I want to make sure that when we're talking about religion, we're not just talking about some of the definitions of worshiping any god or kind of having a, a devoutness to things that we do religiously. We're talking about a specific kind of devotion to God that separates out some of the pharisaical, controlling religiosity that has nothing to do with loving God and everything to do with controlling the way that we worship God. And that was part of Jesus' challenge that he had with the Pharisees, is it, it was never really about God. It was always about their own control. It was about their own power. And so as we talk about giving up religion for Lent, what we're saying is, Lord, free us from the things that are controlling us, the things that keep us far from you. Like the scripture says that these people draw near to me with their mouths, but their hearts are far from me. That's the kind of religion that we're saying we've got to let go of. And in every message that we've tried to preach in this series, you've probably seen a pretty interesting dynamic between Jesus, the Pharisees, rulers, keepers of the law, and the disciples. You kind of see this dynamic interchange where the Pharisees aren't primarily concerned with keeping the law and drawing people to a healthy walk in with Judaism. It's really about their power. It's about their maintaining their power and seeing Jesus as a threat because they could not see, although Jesus was prophesied throughout the prophets, he was prophesied. They could not see Jesus as the one that he claimed to be particularly because when he manifests, he did not come forward looking like David. They wanted a Davidic king. David was the most prominent and the most glorified king of Israel. He was royal. He was powerful. He was good looking. He was all of those things. He was a warrior and a worshiper. But Jesus didn't come like that. And that's what they wanted and that's what they expected. And so even though all of the other things that Jesus would say to them would point back to the Tanakh, which is what we would call the Old Testament, it would point back to him and he would tell them, here is where it says, this is who I am. They refused to believe. And so while we sometimes want to point the finger and say, I don't want to be three people in the Bible. I don't want to be a Pharisee. I don't want to be Peter. And I don't want to be Doubting Thomas. <laughs> The reality is in our journeys, all of us can be like that. And I want to be clear that while we want to boo the Pharisees, let's be clear that for hundreds of years, the keepers of the law, that was their life and their responsibility was to keep the law. They weren't just hating to be hating. They were terrified that everything that the Jewish people had ever known and Jesus was a Jew was going to give way because this man came on the scene. But rather than even give their hearts to the potential that Jesus could be the Messiah that they had waited for, they saw him as a threat and someone to be expunged. So when you hear us preaching about that religiosity, it's not that they were always awful people, but there was something in them that saw Jesus as a threat rather than someone who came to save them too. 
And that's what we're talking about when we talk about um, separating out, kind of giving up religion for Lent. And so today we're going to be focusing on Jesus in the temple, and we'll take a little bit of a contextual look back at also what it looks like in setting uh, the tone for Jesus coming in. And so as we think about scripture today, and I want you to think about two things, two words, intent and motive. What is the intent of the scripture? What is the intent of what Jesus is doing? What is the intent of what he is saying? What is the intent? What are, they, what are the Pharisees and the keepers of all intending to do? And what is their motive? Intent is what we think about. Motive is what comes out of our hearts. So I want us to think about intent and motive today as we think about the scripture. And I want you to think about the characters as we're breaking down the scripture. And I want you to really listen to say, hmm, where would I be? And how do I understand this? So as you've been listening each Sunday, you've probably noticed that we've had some of these examples. And I want us to think about where we're going today as we look at Jesus in the temple. So let's go to Matthew chapter 21 to set the tone for the day, beginning in verse 12 and going to verse 17, just five verses today. It says, Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things that he did and the children Shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David. They were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants? You, Lord, have called forth your praise. And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany, where he spent the night. So just before we find Jesus in the temple, we have seen him come in in what we celebrated today, what we call the triumphal entry. So he had been in the presence of uh, people. He had been healing along the way. And we witnessed one of the most extraordinary moments in Jesus' history, which is what we would call Palm Sunday for us today or the triumphal procession. Imagine it. These individuals who are watching, largely Jewish people, are wanting somebody like King David. And instead, what we see is that people are spreading their cloaks and palms all along the road. The disciples have thrown their cloaks on top of a donkey. And then Jesus comes on top of this donkey, never having been ridden. And he climbs upon it, and he comes riding through streets with people with palm branches. And remember, we have palms because this is happening in the Middle East. This is happening in a place where palms were very common. And so they're cutting them down, and they're waving what they know, the largest thing they can have, and they're waving them. It's interesting for us to know and to reflect, though, that these individuals are not waving and saying, Hosanna in the highest, because they see Jesus as someone who is going to save them from their sins. Instead, they are hoping that he will yet be a Davidic king who will come and crush the Roman Empire. Isn't it true, friends, that when we've been hurt, 
We want retribution, not salvation. And here the people were sick and tired of the Romans. They were tired of having been people that were under somebody else's law. These were the people, the generations of people who had come after those who had been brought out of Egypt. These were people that had been given the law. These are the people that had been led by Moses. These were the children of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. These were the people that had been kept by the law. And now these are people that are under the Roman Empire and they are sick to death of Romans. They're tired of being scrutinized. They're tired of being robbed. They're tired of feeling afraid. And so they're hoping that Jesus will be instead like David, that he will come with a sword and that he will somehow destroy the Romans. But that's not why Jesus came. He didn't just come to destroy those kind of systems. He came to save them. And he came to save the Pharisees and the keepers of the law too, if they would have let him. But they didn't want to be saved by Jesus. And so instead, we see uh, that Jesus is riding in, in this triumphal entry. Interestingly, for those of you who geek out on this kind of thing, the triumphal entry and the temple is one of the very few portions of scripture that is in all four of the gospels. So when you read that, there, that should say to us that there is a purposefulness in which Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John had accounts of this. Because when you read the Gospels, you'll find that even though there are variations, they don't all word for word, line for line, uh, model everything because they're talking to different groups. But this triumphal entry and this time in the temple courts is chronicled by all of them. And so as he's riding in as a servant king rather than a royal king, Jesus is actually fulfilling a portion of scripture coming from Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, that says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. You see, right in front of the eyes of the religious leaders, that prophetic word that was spoken by Zechariah hundreds of years before was coming to pass. What they had probably preached, what they had spoken, the Jerusalem was actually shouting. Zechariah 9 was coming to life. And here it was, but they could not see it. And yet the children, the children could see it. So Jesus is continuing to celebrate the reality of who, Jesus, of who these children are because the children are those that see the beauty and the wonder of Jesus. You've got to remember at that time that everything was communal. There was no uh, Old Testament daycare or childcare. Anytime there was a gathering, entire families together, from the youngest to the oldest, were all in the street. So as Jesus is crying out, Hosanna, children literally this age were there crying as well. People were clamoring to see this Jesus, to see the coming one, to see the ruling king. And so here he was. And we can see how these children then were impacted by the very power of Jesus. In fact, right after service, the first service, I got a chance to talk with a parent. The parent said, my son gave his life to Jesus Christ in childcare today. 
Y'all, we have kids and he wasn't the only one. While we're in here, our children are being taught and they are not only saying Hosanna, but then they're saying, Jesus, be my savior and my Lord. Right here, transformation is taking place. Hallelujah. Our kids are saying, Jesus, be my savior and my Lord. I don't know about you, but I feel like running in circles. Why? Because while we may think, oh, that's adorable. No, now it is time for us to fight for those kids. What happened in the supernatural, that's not just because a cute little story was written. We need to pray that that gets sealed forever because now that child becomes an existential threat to the kingdom of darkness. And our job is to raise up, protect, and provide for those children no matter what. That is massive. It is an extraordinary thing. And we need to celebrate that today. And Jesus wants us to celebrate them as well. Jesus has a love affair with children. If Jesus were alive, he would be the best daddy daycare that ever existed. Jesus and kids is something that we need to pay attention to. Why? Not just because they're cute, but because there's an innocence and there's also a myopic way in which children are able to see and discern that which is real. For all of you who are parents, remember when kids, when a a, a new person would come near your child and they would draw closer to you? kind of what we call stranger danger. (laughs) Well, children know when somebody is not real or they know when somebody is not a stranger and when somebody can be drawn to. And children love to be drawn next to Jesus. They know the real from the authentic, which is why we need to protect them and why Satan loves to come after them. Jesus said to us in Matthew 19, just before this temple experience, 19, 13 through 14, Then the people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked the people. Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. In other words, the kingdom of heaven not only belongs to children, but people with a childlike faith. In other words, you want to get into the kingdom of heaven? You better have the faith of a child. You better know that you're going to have to see things with a childlike face when the rest of the world tells you you're an idiot for believing. You better put on your childlike eyes and say, I believe. I choose to believe. I choose to believe. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. You better choose to believe to have a childlike faith, especially if you've become rigid and hard and just want to be able to control the things that you can control. No, you've got to open your arms and your heart and say, God, give me the heart of a child. Make me supple and soft in your arms again, Jesus, a faith like I used to have. And he said when he had placed his hands on them, he went on his way to Jerusalem. So we see children being proclaimed to whom the kingdom belongs. In fact, just before that in Matthew 18, 1 through 12, Jesus likens the greatest in the kingdom of God to those who would be like children. He also gives us a warning. Hear me, a warning He said, anyone who would cause little ones to stumble would be better to have a large millstone tied around their neck and thrown into the sea to drown. Jesus is making it abundantly clear to their parents, to the Roman Empire, and to everyone else. These children see me in a way that you don't and refuse to. So protect them at all costs. Brothers and sisters, we need to protect our children at all costs, because they matter not only to us, but to Jesus. 
So as we see this progression of the scripture, Matthew 18, Matthew 19, Matthew 20, and then 21 when we see the triumphal entry, we see that these very same people who were there watching with their children who cried Hosanna in the highest would be the same who would cry crucify him just a few days later. So as we look to the temple story, we see some really important things. Jesus comes into the physical temple seeing that it has become a spectacle. So he has ridden into Jerusalem. He has had this triumphal entry. He knows that the people who are crying Hosanna in the highest are also going to be the people who are going to betray him. But he also sees the children. And he also has hope in the children like we ought to have hope for our country and our world through the eyes of children. And he sees and he knows that they know something about him. And he uses them prophetically. God uses them in an astounding way that we will get to in a moment that proclaims who he is in a way that adults could not. And so as he comes uh, through and he rests, the next day he comes into the temple. And it was not strange for Jesus to be in the temple. He was a rabbi. He was a Jew. And he was in the temple often. But he came into the temple And he did not recognize where he was. The temple, like the church, is supposed to be a place where people can come, where people are safe, where people are healed, where people are set free, where leaders are humble, where leaders will do whatever is necessary to open wide the door to people, to proclaim the good news to those who are broken. And instead, what he saw was a spectacle. Now, be clear. Jesus was not upset that there were animals being sold in the temple. That was part of what happened in the outer courts. The temple was also a place of sacrifice. Before Jesus was sacrificed, you've got to remember that there was a system in which bulls and goats and yes, even doves for the very poor were sacrificed and their blood was spilled as an atonement for sin. So it wasn't that there were animals. It was that the people that were selling were jacking up the prices. It was no longer about sacrifice. It was about stealing. It was about robbing the people, not only of intimacy with God. It was about robbing the people and taking the little money that they had, which is why he said, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you're making it a den of robbers. That's why he says that you're stealing from the people. You're stealing their joy. You're stealing their entrance to the kingdom and you are stealing their money literally. You all who ought to be partakers of the goodness of God and sharing Jesus are robbing these people. And Jesus was so incensed that he began to flip these things over. Can you imagine the coins rolling and animals bleeding and birds flying and feathers going everywhere and people trying to gather up their animals? He's saying, get this out of here. Clean this garbage out. Friends, I'm going to say it more than once today. We who are now the temples of the living God need to do the same thing in our lives. Clean it out. You are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. And whatever is in your life that would keep you from being a witness to God and your temple from being clean, get it out. Get out every lie, every trick, every old thing, every habit, anything that would keep you from being clean before God and a suitable place for the Holy Spirit to reside, get it out. 
because our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit and we cannot have one foot in the world and one foot in the church and think that we can be suitable representatives for the kingdom of God. We can't. And so this is a foreshadowing of this time that we've got to clean all those things out. But now imagine as all this stuff is happening, what does it say next in verse 14? The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. So even in the midst of all of this noise, the blind, the people who were desperate came to him. Have any of you ever been so desperate that it doesn't matter what else is going on? If Jesus is in the house, you're going to run and be the first one in line to say, me, I, me, God, I'm standing in the need of prayer. Touch me, God. Heal me, God. Deliver me, God. These people didn't care about the bleeding of animals. They didn't care about the coins rolling. They saw in Jesus the real McCoy. They saw in Jesus the one who had been prophesied, brought to life, and they knew that the chance that they had for freedom was in Jesus. Brothers and sisters, the only chance, young people, the only freedom you will ever have is in Jesus. The only lasting freedom you will ever have is in Jesus. Everything else is temporary. Every drug you will consider, every relationship you will ever have will never fulfill you like Jesus, ever. Take it from one who has tried it. It will never fill you like the one who came to fill you and set you free. So it said when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things that he did, Listen, and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David. They were indignant, disgusted, infuriated. And they said to Jesus, do you hear these kids? Do you hear them and what they're saying? Hosanna to the son of David. Hear it again, you all. What they are saying, Hosanna to the son of David as they are proclaiming that Jesus is the Messiah in the lineage of David, they are proclaiming what the keepers of the law would not proclaim. They are saying, we believe the prophecy. We may be children, we may be small, but we know the face of God. And on that man is the face of God. That is God. Hosanna to the king and the one who is coming in the lineage of David. And when he said it, they were incensed because everything that those children were saying, shouting, not whispering, shouting, proclaiming, jumping at the feet of Jesus, it flew in the face of those who had read those scriptures for hundreds of years and yet refused to make that same claim. And so they were angry then because what they saw was a faith that children had a childlike faith and the manifestation of truth that they refused to have. With such a response, it was extraordinary. And Jesus then claimed and spoke back to them, have you never read from the lips of children and infants, you Lord have called forth your praise. In other words, Jesus not only said what they said is true, but God has told you this long ago that children and infants would be the ones who would praise you first. So Jesus is going back to the word, back to the Tanakh, back to that which was talked about about him and saying, I am he in your very presence.
So friends, when we think about these children, when we think about him riding in, when we think about the skepticism of the leaders, again, I want you to go back to intent and motive. I want you to think about the pure motives of children who have not yet been tainted by the things of this world and the heart's cry that they had. What can we learn from Jesus cleansing the temple? What can we learn from these children praising Jesus? The first thing I want us to think about is that we must keep the temple holy. When Jesus Christ ascended to heaven, he told his disciples in John 14, 15, and 16 that he was going to leave them, but that he was going to give them a better gift who is the Holy Spirit. And that that Holy Spirit would live on the inside of them, would reside on the inside of them, and would teach them. When we say yes to Jesus Christ, we do not just receive salvation. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit, the very Spirit of God that then guides our lives. So we cannot have the Holy Spirit living in us next to a garbage heap of junk that we allow to be in our lives. Darkness and light cannot be in the same place. Blessing and cursing, James says, cannot be in the same place. We have to be pure temples to the best of our ability. Now, we will stumble and we will fall and we'll make mistakes because we are humans. But there is a difference between making mistakes and willful sinning. Dear brothers and sisters, may it not be found in any of us that we willfully sin and make cheap grace out of the goodness of God. Amen? We have got to walk in holiness, so we've got to keep our temples holy. And that means anything, anything that would make a cheapening of the gospel in our lives, anything has got to be kicked out. It's got to go. And that's where we go to each other for prayer. As Aaron said, we need people to pray for us. Please, if there are things in your life, if there is brokenness, if there is sin, if there are situations in your life where you need prayer, please, please take advantage of it. Because the fervent, effectual prayer of a righteous person makes great power available, James 5, 16. Ask people, don't hide in your sin. Nothing that you've done is anything new. But everything that we do, Satan will use. And he'll use it as a bully club to continue to keep you small until you rise up in the reality of who you are. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians 16. We've been purchased, but not with a human offering. We've been purchased by the blood of the Lamb. Number two, isn't it good to know that we don't have to earn our salvation? Anyone ever tried it to earn your salvation? Or do you remember the times where you were saved and you're like, well, if I just try harder, if I journal more, if I just do more, it'll make God love me more? Do you know how many pages, one pages of journals that I have? Like I have like a, a drawer full of journals like with one page. I don't like journaling. I, like I wish I tried. I had the pretty pens. I sat cross-legged under a tree. I said the prayer. I asked Jesus to come down and have a conversation with me so I could journal and it never happened. <laughs> So I have had to find the unique ways that God has helped me to be in intimate relationship with him. But here's the reality. And I was raised like this. I was raised that Jesus was always past my fingertips and I had to earn salvation. There's no salvation to be earned. 
It's not about earning salvation. It's about receiving what he has done for us. That should be such good news. Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 10, 11 through 14, that the blood of bulls and goats was never sufficient. It was one spotless lamb given to us, the Passover lamb, who was crucified for the sins of the whole world that set us free when we stepped forward and said yes to him. For those of you in this room who have never made that decision, or maybe you feel like, nah, I like religion better because I can control it. Yeah, you may be right. You can control religion, but you can't control the Holy Spirit. And so when you surrender to Jesus, you're right. You're surrendering your will and your way to say, God, I completely surrender. Not one hand behind your back like, I want some control and you can have some control. Nope, it's both hands up, cleaning of the temple, walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's not about what you can purchase, but it is about how you choose to live. And finally, we've got to strive to walk in a manner that pleases the Lord not in a manner that seeks to please people or cause us just to be religious or to act in ways that are not clear to God. And let me tell you, as someone who God had to deliver from a people-pleasing spirit that came from years of fear and bullying, I understand how easy it is to get caught in people-pleasing because we all want to be liked. We all want to be on the winning team. We all want to be those people. But the problem with a people-pleasing spirit is there are 7 billion, no, 8 billion people on this earth and one you. And the reality is you will never please everybody. And if we all started to live for an audience of one, the one who saved our lives, we might save ourselves a little bit of agony and give ourselves a little bit more freedom to be able to walk in the light of who he hears. And here's the reality. When the scripture says that we need to love God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength, when we allow the Holy Spirit to change us, then out of that, we can love our neighbor as ourselves. Brother, sister, even if I don't know you, it's not burdensome for me to love you. Why? Because I don't do it in my own strength. It's the Holy Spirit's power. And when you've been loved much and forgiven much, you can also love and forgive other people and be gracious. There is nothing that this world needs more than to love much and to give much. We don't need more religion. We need more love. We need more Jesus. We need more churches that are open places, not closed doors. We need each other, and it shouldn't be a burden. Finally, I want to say as we prepare for communion and the band prepares to come out, I want you to know that everything that I'm talking about today, the sacrifice, the children, the childlike faith, it all came because Jesus modeled it for us first. He made the way for us first. As we prepare our hearts for communion, I want you to think about the two words that I gave you at the very beginning, intent and motive. And as we prepare for communion, I want you to think about intent. Lord, what is the intent of my life that I'm living in you? And what is my motive? Is, is it about me being able to control my life and inviting you in only when I want to? Or is my motive love, to love you with all of my heart and soul and mind. Jesus sacrificed for us so that we could live a life of freedom. In just a moment, there will be two people that will be on each side of this stage who will come forward to share with you the joy of the reality of the sacrifice of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. Back over here in this far corner, is a self-service area if you would like to just ponder and take communion and be served by yourself. And over in this far corner to my left is a gluten-free option for those of you who need to have gluten-free.
Remember these words then as we prepare to take communion. That on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread. And he took that bread and he broke that bread. And he thanked it. He gave it to his disciples. And he said, take, eat. And as you do it, remember me. Remember me when I am gone. Remember the sacrifice of my body broken on a cross of Calvary so that you could be free. That same night, he took the cup. Again, he lifted it and he gave thanks. And he gave it to his disciples. And he said, this is my blood, the blood of the new and the everlasting covenant. It has been shed for you and for all people so that our sins will be forgiven. When you take and you drink, do this in remembrance of me. So friends, today, may we unify ourselves under that cry to remember Jesus, what he did for us, what he sacrificed for us. And may above all, we have hearts like children, a childlike faith that cries today and forevermore, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Amen. You are my 